Yep. For some reason, I'm gravitating to this side all the time. I think it's because all you young guys are here. And I know that I've got to make sure you're on my team. Okay? Because what's happening in the world now is, uh, you know, people are getting on their team. And the enemy's got his team. And you've got to make sure that you're on his team. So, so uh, we've been talking about Romans chapter 8. And uh, we might just go into Romans 8.22 and have a look there for a start. We'd spend a year in Romans 8 if we wanted to. And it's Romans 8.18 and it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption and into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labours with birth pangs together until now. Amen? So, Father, just guide us forward as a church, as a Christian community. Guide us forward. And, Father... Right across our region, Lord, raise up this Romans 8 company, this generation. So the Bible uses the word groaning. And as I look around, I see a groaning in the earth. Do you know what I mean? It's wherever you go, there's birth pangs. There's stress, there's challenges. And groaning's very significant. Because when you come to that point where on the inside you begin to really, you know, groan and you're not settled and you begin to really pray, but sometimes you're not even praying. But there's a groaning on the inside, God's hearing. And you can see a couple of incidences of this in the scripture where um, the is the, the Israelites, under the leadership of Pharaoh, they began to groan because they were in bondage. And because they were groaning, God heard their prayer and he raised up a deliverer, and that was Moses. In uh, the book of Samuel, you see Hannah groaning in the temple. She was groaning there. And, uh, you know, it was her grief of not, not having a child. But she began to cry out to God and God began to answer her there. And Samuel was the answer to that prayer for Hannah's groaning. But now in the earth, there is a groaning going on. And, you know, where it's in people are shut down or, or locked away or whatever, there's a real shifting and there's something going on. The whole of the earth is groaning. So I believe that this message, this verse that I've just read to you, it speaks to us today. So let's add context to the message or to those, those events. 
there are many events in history uh, that are really significant, that have been recorded in Scripture. In fact, everything that's recorded in there is significant. But there are some things that stick out this morning. Number one, let's talk about this. Because the messages I've been talking about, the whole of the earth is waiting. And while there's a groaning on the inside, the whole of the earth is waiting for something new, the revealing of something new that's real and not just religious. Amen? Something new has got to happen. Now, here's a couple of things. We're talking about sonship. Because when I called you up this morning and Fee said, you know, the whole of the earth's waiting. I can't remember the words, but she talked about sons and daughters being raised. And this is what's going on. Now, let's talk about what this exactly means. Because it doesn't always come natural to us in our Western mindset. But let's talk about sonship for a minute. Adam, when he was placed in the garden at creation, he was God's created son, right? God created a son. It says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, let us make man in our own image. So God created man in his own image. Male and female, he made them. But Adam was a created being and God breathed life into him. So that is the first Adam. The second Adam was Jesus. And Jesus was God's only begotten son. In other words, he was conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit. And he was Jesus' only begotten son. Everything in history points to Jesus. The Old Testament points to Jesus. And now everything that we do points back to Jesus. Everything points to him. He is the center of everything. He was God in the flesh. He was not just a good man. He was God incarnate. He was God in human flesh. He was the only begotten son of God. He was born of God. He was conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit. And he was the only begotten Son of God. He is the center of everything and he needs to be the center of what we do. He is the centrality of our message. The message of this church is the words that we sung this morning when we sung, He is Lord, that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And men and women everywhere need to come and hear that message. And we have a job to do. And it is to make sure, it is to make sure that every man, every woman, every child in this city gets to hear that message in a clear form. And you know, we can put it out there in our own way, but we need to pray that the the city really gets to hear our heart and they get to hear the heart of God. They get to hear the, the Father heart of God and they really get to hear who Jesus was. And this is our job. This is our job, amen? It's not just my job. You know, I, I do it in my way and you will do it in your way, but to, this is a shared responsibility. Because now we are in a place where people are groaning and, and uh, you know, crying out for the answer, but where do they go for the answer? 
And here we heard of a young woman standing just this morning and praying, God, I need you to be my father. Now, this is what can happen. But we have got to get engaged in this effort. I really believe this is an incredible time where God wants to raise up a generation. So this Bible says about Jesus that he was the only begotten son of God. But in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went about doing good. Say that after me. He went about doing good. And healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So that's what Jesus did. And now God is looking for this generation, for sons and daughters in this generation, that will carry on that exact same work. You know, it might be slightly different to the way Jesus did it. But God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost... That's the first thing we need. We need to be anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power. And this is where, you know, we can be just like ordinary church attenders and we can be good people, but we need to be anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power. And that is why the altar is important every day of our life, that we find our way to the altar and we pray afresh, God, anoint me afresh anoint me with the Holy Ghost and power so that I can go and do good. So we need to do good, you know, not just good works, but God's works and heal all who are oppressed. This generation is the most oppressed generation on the earth in history. So we've got a work to do. So we've built the church. God's given us the building. But now we have a message as the sons and daughters of God and we must take that. So when it comes down to talk about the whole earth is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God, that special generation, number one, Adam was the first son of God. He was a created God. Jesus was the only begotten son of God. But now in this generation, God is wanting his sons to come forth. And that is what this message is about. I've probably preached uh, around this, you know, for 20 years, but each time it would be significantly different because my whole revelation of this totally changed over the years. So let's come back to our model because our model is Jesus. So Jesus' sinless life, his atoning death on the cross, his descent into Hades to preach to the Old Testament saints, his ascension into heaven prepared the way for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the upper room. In the upper room, the church was birthed. And this is where now, in this generation, we need to come back to the upper room. It's good to see that Papa has stolen the name of our prayer for his upper, upper room meetings on Tuesday. Sorry, Papa. But, uh, but the upper room is an important place because that was the place where the church was born. And if we want to be amongst the ones that are numbered as the sons and daughters of God, those ones that have really answered the call of God, we must continually return to the upper room. Now, the upper room in the, in the scripture is an actual place. You actually go to a place called Mount Zion and, you know, it's all there. And uh, 
and, and the upper room, you can actually visit the upper room where the Holy Spirit was poured out 2,000 years ago. You can actually go there. I'd love to go there one day. I don't know whether I'll get the chance because you've got to take that jab to go. Anyway, that one's up to you. I don't think we should make it a big issue of whether we do or we don't. Just make sure you pray about it. And, uh, you know, don't feel pressure to go one way or another. Just do what you believe is right and answer God on it. And that's how I think you should handle that. So, So the upper room is there and it's a physical place. But now the upper room is a place like this in cities and regions and towns all over the world where the church can gather together and it is like an altar. You know, this is an amazing thing because the upper room, according to the scripture, was the place where Jesus took his disciples and they broke bread. At the end of uh, this service today, we'll, we'll take communion together. But they went to the upper room and that was a place of covenant. It's a place where, they, they, uh, where Jesus prophesied about what was going to happen over his own life. They, they went through the Passover and this was the breaking of bread. And this is where Jesus was prophetically calling the disciples to lay their life down for one another because he was about ready to lay his life down for them. This is the upper room. And the upper room is the place where after Jesus had died on the cross, had risen from the dead and was ascended into heaven, Jesus said to them, go and wait until the promise of my Father is given. The upper room. And this is what each one of us must do. We must find our place. It's our place where we, as a living sacrifice, begin to lay our life down for Jesus, for the kingdom and for one another. That's our place. And this place here, it actually doesn't matter whether it's here or it's on Zoom, you know, or however else, or whether it's in a lounge room somewhere, But it is that place where God calls us to break bread together, to become part of what God is doing, and to genuinely lay our life down for him, for the kingdom, and for one another as a living sacrifice. And when we do that, we can come to the altar like this, and we can raise our hands to heaven, and we can say, come Holy Spirit, and he will. He will. Because you see, these ones in the upper room, they were the first generation of sons and daughters. They were the first generation of sons and daughters. They were no ordinary believers. You know, it's, it's not a big stress to be called to be an ordinary believer. You just go to church and you just go home and you don't let anything fuss you. I've never been able to be like that. It's either in or out for me. I mean, if Jesus died for me on the cross and he is real, then this is it, man. 
I am going the whole way. And Lynn will testify to that. <laughs> sort of like, uh, you know, touch obsessive, I suppose. But if you're going to be obsessive about something, don't be obsessive about your looks or your weight or your waistline. Be obsessive about Jesus. And everything else is going to be sorted out. You know, this world is so hung up on a whole lot of things. And I tell you, it's messing them up. You know, our kids are just like honestly just getting manipulated by what's going out there but this is where we've got to come to if we come to this place and this place is the altar we will find that God's got this beautiful pathway for us and it's quite incredible what God will do you won't ever doubt who you are because God will show you who you are and one of the keys is in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And it says, But we with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. That's where we find out who we are. So Jesus poured out his Spirit in the upper room. And the birthing of the church took place. And the beginning of the transformation of nations began. Today, if you believe some of the things that I just said, you are uh, regarded as controversial. But listen to this, what the scripture says about controversy. In 1 John 3.16 it says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen by angels. He was preached on amongst the Gentiles. He is believed on in the world and he was received up into glory. I just get so excited when I read that. Because this is controversial. You know that God sent his son into the earth and these things happened. He was manifested in the flesh. He was seen by angels. He was preached about. And nations have turned around and believed because of it. The next great event, which has to a degree happened in every generation, but will especially happen in this one, is the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. Something's happening on the earth. I believe in the future you'll always sort of had religious people. But I believe that there's going to be a generation of sons and daughters that are passionately on fire for God. It's like there's no plan B. In our world, we've always had plan B. If it doesn't work out, I'll just move on, do something different, take time out from church, or do whatever. But you know, the reality is that in this generation, there's no plan B. I want to encourage you to jump in and to give all. And you know, there's a way of giving all. It's like at the altar. God does not want you to be poor. He was, Jesus was poor. 
He does not want you to be depressed. He died for that. But he wants all of us to come to him and just say yes. And just keep saying yes. And as we say yes, I tell you, God will take you on the most amazing adventure. My expectation is that what God is about to do in the nations, and particularly this one in this generation, is very high. And that's why I've been talking about the Romans 8 company. These are God's very own that he reveals when the time is right. Amen? You want to be part of that company? It's like God's inviting many sons and daughters or many children of God to be part of that company. But some are going to say yes with their whole heart and some are going to be reserved about it and some are just going to say, not me. You know? But God's calling us. This church is called by God. This church is called by God. Got to be. It's amazing how God's brought us here. You know, I look back over our journey here and I think, wow, it's just staggering how God brought us here. But we have not yet seen the full reward of what God wants to do. I mean, dreams with dates, visions, prophetic words, you know, things that have been powerfully confirmed and then this. It's because God wants to do something. So the whole of the earth is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Let's just talk about that. These ones are prepared by God. Firstly, there's a calling. You know, who would feel this morning, and I I would say, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it was everyone, that you have this sense that God is going to do something greater. Yeah. There's a calling. There's a calling. You know, God called me. I remember when God called me and it was sort of like God called me out of the crowd to follow him. You know, I think it's good if you've got a crowd around you. You're very lucky you've got friends that are the same age and you're not in it together. But sometimes God calls you out of the crowd. Uh, Dr. Jonathan's been talking about how, you know, uh, Elijah and the settlers of Gilead. You know, if you're going to step up into that place, sometimes you've got to come out of the crowd, set, be set apart in the presence of God for what he wants to do next. So there's a calling. There is a response. And in everything we must realise we can choose. Best thing that God ever did is he gave us all free choice. Your future, your responsibility. What's going to happen in the future is going to be determined largely by how we choose. There is a process. A process. In the beginning, God said, let us make man. But when he now calls us as a new creation, he's making us. And there's a process. So in my saying yes to God, there's not, it's not always been easy or positive or seemed that way. That's a process. And there is a kairos time. 
There's a time where the, you know, the calling and your response and the process is complete. There's a kairos time where God begins to bring you to the front. He took Joseph from the prison to the throne in his time. I don't think when Joseph was in the prison, he was thinking of the throne. He's thinking it's all over. He promoted Daniel to the prominent place in the nation. But this morning, I just want to give you a couple of thoughts about, more thoughts about the sons of God. Because these are very special to God. Those that are saying yes. Those that are going further. Those that are leaving average to become what God's called them to be. Number one this morning, they know God. They know God. In Daniel chapter 11 verse 32, it's a good verse. It says, those who know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. Those that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. This is the big thing, particularly with, you know, with this generation that's rising, you've got to make sure that you know God. Because you know me. You know, and you know the people around you, and you know your mum and dad, and you know the people that have invited you to church, but this is what you've got to know. You've got to know God. Those that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. The word comes from the word, the Hebrew word yada, which means to know. And it's sort of like the intimate union between a husband and a wife. That's the way that we are called to know God. That it is an intimate union where our heart is one with God, where we are in covenant with God. So you can know about God and you can be brought up knowing all about God, but don't yada God yourself. So God wants us to come to this extra place. It's a place of devotion and a place of intimacy with God. See, when God made Adam and put him in the garden, there was literally no separation between God and Adam. He made him in his likeness. He put his spirit in him. He was one with him. And this is how we're called, to know God. Do you know you can know God that way? And for, you know, for... Uh, those that are just finding God, you can know God in such a way that he is as real as what I am here. He's as real as the person next to you. And do you know when you, we all eventually leave this world, you know it's us and God. So build your relationship with him well now. This is priority number one. For those that really want to answer the call to become part of that Romans 8 company is that we don't just know about God, that we are in an intimate space with him. You know, it was really great to be able to call some people up this morning and to ask you what God was saying to you. Because that comes out of relationship. 
comes out of relationship. And sometimes when you hear people speak, you think, wow, they know God. They've been with God. They could not do what they are doing without God. So this week, we've got to learn to find a new space with God. Because sometimes it's a bit, you know, it rides with the roller coaster of our emotions. And that's what the generation is like. But one of the things we need to do is develop a relationship with God where we can go for a walk with Him and we can have a talk with Him. This is the foundation of it. You know, we can find Him in the Word. We can read the Word and it is like we are having yada with Him. Intimate union. We are becoming one with Him. It's not just putting a whole lot of information in our mind. The first one is we need to know God. You know, it's possible to follow God all your life but not really know Him. In fact, Jesus said, some are going to come on that day and say, hey, Lord, Lord, didn't, didn't we heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out the devils? He said, you, you didn't know, I didn't know you. Make sure that your relationship with God is like this. The first thing about sons and daughters is they know God. Number two, they have been made by God. They've been made by God. One, Genesis 1.26, Let us make man in our own image. God is in the making of me. We sing that song here. And through everything that we're going through, God is making us. Some of the things I've been through, I never thought I'd go through. But do you know what? I thank God for them. Nearly all of them. Because that's what God does to make you. And if we see it wrong, like sometimes we can see it wrong, things seem to be not going right, you know? And we can start to blame God or think something's going wrong, but no, it's not. It's process. And, you know, we see Daniel in the prison. In the lion's den, Joseph in the prison, and right in there, God's making him. God's in the making of us. How does God make us? God makes us through our circumstances and through our response to him. Number three this morning, this generation of sons and daughters are a prophetic generation. They are a prophetic generation. Joel chapter 2, verse 28, it says, In the last days, I reckon we've got to be pretty close. I wouldn't have a clue where we are, but we are living in crazy days. But it says, In the last days, in the latter days, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh, and my sons and daughters will prophesy. My sons and daughters. Do you know what? This is the gift and this is the grace of God that we need to tap into to be that prophetic generation. In the last days, I will pour my spirit, this is God speaking to you, 
I will pour my spirit out on my sons and daughters. So this is all about positioning. So we've got to be in the right place with the right people at the right time. So it's not just the person out the front who prophesies. It's all of us. But more than the gift of prophecy, it is us becoming a prophetic generation where we are a message to the generation. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, it says, without the progressive revelation, people are going to dwell carelessly. People cast off restraint. Now, this is a generation without prophetic vision. And we've got to pick it up again. Amen? We've got to pick it up. And be that generation. My sons and daughters will prophesy. You know, there's a boldness in that. There's an authority in that. There's a, there's a hotness about that. Because the, the prophetic word cuts through everything. It cuts through all the confusion. And in this generation, God's wanting someone who will stand up and speak for him. It's very interesting because the whole pandemic thing is, uh, you know, people have had their mouths covered. And, you know, you can uh, go into some shops or different places and you can't hear what people are saying. That's got to be a strategy of the enemy. God wants us to speak up and to be the prophets of this generation. Amen? He wants you to be the prophets of this generation. This Romans 8 company will be, they'll know God and they'll be like God and they'll speak the word of God. Amen. They'll speak the word of God. They will speak the truth in love. They will be bold. You know, God's just waiting for this gang to arise. The whole of the earth's waiting. For somebody to stand up and say, you know, someone said this morning, I don't know who it was, it's going to be all right. Was that you? That was just such a God thing this morning. I really believe that people needed to hear that. It's going to be all right. Because sometimes you can look at what's happening and think, this is going down, this is mad. Especially when you make full page 22 and 23 in the Herald Sun. Think, what? <laughs> anyway, do you know what? It's okay. Yeah. It's going to be all right. Yeah, that's right. Yep. It's going to be okay. In fact, it's going to keep getting better and better. Yeah. Do you know there's going to be a generation that stands up? I, you know, I came into the prayer meeting this morning and it was great, yeah. especially when you took the microphone. And she got up here and she said this. She said, don't let this Sunday just be like every other Sunday when we just hear a message. So having a message is okay, but this message, all it is, it's just like the little guidelines. It's guiding the church in a direction so that you've got a reasonable idea of where, where we need to go from here. That's my job. 
But your job is to be the prophets to this generation. To speak prophetically to this generation. And sometimes it might be just bringing a word like it's going to be all right. My words don't seem to be like that. My words are like, you are coming down. (laughs) But God uses everybody where they're at because he needs all of us. Hey, Lauren, good to see you. But, you know, this is really where it's at. You might think, man, church, it's about God putting his spirit on the inside of you because, you know, the Bible actually says about you guys that you're made in a very special way. And, the, and this, is, this is what I would call hell's best kept secret. Because the powers of hell never want you to find out who you really are and who you're meant to be. But the scripture says you are called to be, a, you are a temple. In fact, the apostle Paul, he said it to the church in Corinth because they weren't quite getting it. And he said, don't you know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that? Now, Tia, if they taught this in schools, you would get a completely different result to what you get. You'd have no kids on drugs or ice. You'd have no unwanted pregnancies. You'd have none of that stuff. Don't you know that you're a temple? So you are like a vessel, and now God wants to come and fill you up with his Holy Spirit. Just like he did with, with um, you know, Adam when he made him there. He made him. He made Adam out of just a bit of dirt, actually. <laughs> and, yeah. And then he breathed his spirit on the inside. That's the way that God made man. But the reality is, is that God can now come and live on the inside of an earthen vessel. And he can fill you up so that you become just like, guess who? Jesus. That's a miracle. And never doubt who you are again. No one will ever be able to pull some story on you because you know who you are. And when you start to think this way, it sets you free. So you've got to be God-inside-minded. And aware that God's on the inside of you. Because the first thing that happened in the church in Ephesus is when Paul came in and he's got some disciples and they didn't quite really know what was going on. And he said, have you guys heard about the Holy Spirit? He started to tell them exactly what I'm telling you now. And they said, we haven't even heard there's a Holy Spirit. And then he laid his hands on them. And what happened to them? Speak it up. Right or wrong, back yourself in. Speak it up. They prayed in tongues and they prophesied. They prophesied. They spoke in tongues. It's a wild idea, isn't it? Speaking in tongues. And they prophesied. Do you know what? Everyone in the world's prophesying. You read the Herald Sun, they're prophesying. The Age, the ABC, all doing it. 
But there's something, and you know, when, when they do it, it's sort of just making everything darker and more confused. But when a son or a daughter of God prophesies, do you know what it does? It brings light. It's God on the inside of you. So, so you know, when you start to figure this out, you, you'll start talking like me. You'll do it in your way. But it's like the confidence on the inside of you will just grow so much. You know, because a lot of what's going on in the world is not going to help young people grow to understand who they are, what their purpose is, or what they can achieve in God. But the gift of prophecy, it's wild. It's crazy. And the scripture says, here's, a couple, here's an Old Testament verse for you. In Amos chapter 3, boy, it's time. In Amos chapter 3, nothing happens unless first I tell my servants the prophets. Nothing happens. Do you know what? Because when people have a prophetic gift, they can begin to turn things around. That's enough for this morning. We'll keep going on with that. God's called us to be prophets to this generation. Not just people who lead churches, but every one of us. Every one of us. Do you know what? This is a good week to step out and practice. I remember once when I was working out at the school, I had a dream and uh, I went out to the school at Gormandale there and I'd had a dream about the principal's mother was very unwell. She was in hospital. And I went out there to the principal and, uh, you know, just forgotten about it. And she just said, oh, uh, you know, she started talking about her family. And I said, I remember the dream I had last night. I dreamt that your mother was in hospital. Anyhow, she said, oh, I should ring. And guess what? Her mother had been taken to hospital. All of a sudden it opens everything up. Do you know what? This is your gift. This is what God wants to give you. So day one, when Paul came into the church of Ephesus, they did not have to practice for six months before they were prophesied. He came along and he laid his hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. They spoke with the gift of tongues and they prophesied. They prophesied. Yep. How good's that? This is our gift. In fact, um, 1 Corinthians 14, it says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you should prophesy. Start practicing this week. But the first thing that we want to do this morning is we just want to come and take communion together because I reckon this is very powerful. I want to make sure we do it a little bit more often because everything that we do comes out of our relationship with Jesus. Amen? What do you think? Now, just so I know that you're getting what I'm talking about, what have you learnt this morning from what I said?
my chief musicians running away. <laughs> Feedback. Really? Make knowing God a priority. Fantastic. They'll be bold. Yep. They'll be bold. They'll be radical. Radical church. <laughs> they'll speak the truth in love. So we're allowed to say things on Facebook, but we're not allowed to be personal to anyone on Facebook. As much as we feel in the Holy Ghost... We should give someone a slap up the side of the ear roll. We are not going to express any words of judgment. Because I'll tell you why. We can very easily move from being a prophet for Jesus to being a prophet for someone else. So having a real heart that's restorative and will lovingly speak truth is critical during this hour. So Jesus, forgive me for all my sins on Facebook. <laughs> Can sin and repent, mind you. <laughs> now, I'll tell you what, people have got to know our heart out there. And they're watching like you wouldn't believe. And we haven't always got it right. And God doesn't expect us to. But we must speak the truth in love. If something we say is not honouring, then we've probably already stepped outside of the grace of God. I think this is important. 